1: Hey everyone, how's it going? You'll notice that I am not Tyler Tamboline. Tambo is unfortunately out today with some technical difficulties, so going to be doing a little bit of a solo show here for the lineup review. So again, I'm TJ Lasig, TJL5124, across the daily fantasy industry. And yeah, this is my first time doing a solo show, so we'll see see how this goes here. Bear with me as it, it probably will not be as easy as, as bouncing off ideas off of a partner. But same thing that we've done previous weeks. We'll, we'll walk through what we saw at the WGC this past weekend, take a look at some of the big tournaments, take a look at what the winning lineups looked like, take a look at the portfolio of lineups that some of the big winners across the industry had this past weekend, and then at the end maybe get into a little bit of a preview of the upcoming PGA championship that we have. So big week in PGA DFS, first major coming up, super excited about that. But let's first uh, put a a little bit of a bookend on the WGC this past weekend, had ourselves a great tournament, Justin Thomas taking it down after a a big Sunday from him. Not surprising to see some of the guys like Brendan Todd and Benny on coming in in that final group and just not, not quite able to get it done. Uh, I think we saw our, our friend Ricky Fowler have a, a little bit of a struggle on Sunday as well. So definitely a unique event when we talk about the WGCs and particularly the, the no-cut aspect. I think that is, is really just a different way of not only building lineups, but also just a different sweat throughout the week. I mean, for me... Thursday, Friday is usually the biggest sweat in terms of trying to get guys through the cut. Obviously, didn't have to deal with that this past weekend. And as a result of that, you see some guys that maybe didn't have the best Thursday, Friday, but by the time the weekend comes around, they're able to see themselves at the the top of the leaderboard. So unique event here. Excited to talk through things with you guys and then excited to get on to the PGA this weekend. So just a reminder again of what we do here we'll be going through, taking a look at Results DB. so up on my roto page here, navigating through the top PGA, we can get ourselves to ResultsDB. This is where we can take a, a fast look at any of the tournaments that went on, and what we're just gonna do is go in here and change the date, go back to last Thursday and take a look at some of the key contests that we had here, so we did not have a Millie maker last weekend. Instead we had the, the $25 buy-in 500 K up top. So actually not, not that different of a tournament, just a little bit of a, at least from, from my personal opinion, a little bit of a more flat payout structure that rewards a couple more guys. So we'll take a look at that one first. We'll also take a look at the the $5, the $3, and then some of the higher stakes stuff as well. again, Taking a look at lineup construction, seeing what worked for guys this past weekend, and just talking through some of the things that that I saw and that stood out to me as I went through these results. So let's start off here with the the $25. So we had a $25 buy-in, 150 max entry, and just over 80,000 total entries. And we had someone taking it down, champion without the H, 27 fired eight bullets across his lineups and was able to come home with the the big half a million payday here. So I think one of the things that really stood out to me as I was going through some of the winning lineups this weekend is that it was a lot of lower ownership than we're typically used to. And I think actually in general, ownership was a little bit more spread out just With the way pricing worked and with the smaller field only having 78 golfers, it didn't seem like there were as many obvious chalk plays that stood out as maybe there are in a typical week. I also think that again, the no cut nature tends people to be a little bit more experimental with their lineups. You can take some more risks. You can play some guys that maybe you're not typically comfortable playing, but when you get them in a no-cut event, you don't have to worry about that floor of a missed cut. I mean, I think our guy Phil is probably a, a prime example of that, right? Phil Mickelson coming in at 6%, six percent, sixty-six hundred, ended up finding himself in a T in two when all said and done. So, taking a look at, at this lineup here, like you can said, Daniel Berger at fifteen percent ownership, and then nobody else above ten percent. So, certainly a unique lineup across the board, and I think a pretty interesting build structure in terms of getting four guys that are 9K and above and then punting off with two 6K guys in the final two spots. So definitely a unique build type and maybe a build that we're not used to seeing. But like I said, I think with the no-cut structure, you can see how this can become more viable, right? You have four guys that have a ton of win equity between the four of them. Matthew Fitzpatrick has been playing great lately, put in another really solid performance this weekend. And then you can take two guys at the bottom, not have to worry about the possibility of them missing the cut. I mean, you know, a guy like Phil, he can always go out there and and, and make some birdies. He's oftentimes going to put up the big numbers as well, but you can see that when he's able to keep things in play, he can, he's still got it. So Thought that was super interesting. And then another unique or interesting thing about this is that Justin Thomas did not find his way into this lineup. So, which is surprising to me, given that it's a winner that came in, I think at 20-some percent ownership. Definitely surprising to not see him in the top lineup. You can also see Dustin Johnson coming in super low-owned at 5%, following up on his withdrawal the week before after shooting a, Nearly his third 80 in a row, so classic kind of leverage spot there. Ton of guys not, not winning, wanting and willing to go back to that after seeing the withdrawal. Obviously, Kepka I think, was a pretty popular like contrarian play coming into the weekend. I think that he was a guy that a lot of people looked at and said, it's Brooks, he's only 9,200, he's going to come in at low ownership. Any time that we can get Brooks for 9,200 at low ownership, it's going to be a good play theoretically. And of course, that came to fruition this week as he was battling JT for just about the the entire 18 on Sunday. Had a little bit of a of a falling apart moment at the end, but still comes through with the, obviously a fantastic fantasy week and that that T2 finish. So overall, I would say that going into this week this past week. And also just in general, when we're looking at these strong field events and something like a WGC, I expected that one of the elite golfers would come through with a win at the end. For a while, it looked like maybe that wasn't going to happen and maybe we were going to have one of the longer shots come through and get that win. But at the end of the day, it was JT, it was Brooks. Those were the two guys that that really had the chance on Sunday and I mean, that's what you get when you're going against all these elite golfers in in such a strong field, and you're guaranteed to play four rounds. The the top guys are going to rise to the top, and and that's what we saw on Sunday. So great lineup here overall from Campion. I mean, I think everyone is finished in the top ten that they have in this lineup. Daniel Berger, another strong performance. Obviously, he was on fire prior to the restart. Uh, Had a a little bit of a a tough time prior to this week, but then came back with another big showing here. And just overall, solid lineup. And, again, interesting construction going with the four 9K guys and two guys to punt it off there. So nice lineup from Campion here, and uh, congrats on the big score. I think the next one that we want to take a look at here. Let's take a look at the $5 here, the drive the green. Because I think this was the one where I saw something pretty interesting with the winner. Okay, yeah, so so I think the, the first thing that jumped out to me in this tournament is that you can see that the, the the MME guys really took it to this tournament, right? The top two guys, MMEing, I mean, of the top ten, what? seven, eight, six, seven of them. MME'd, and then the other guys still had 20-plus entries, whereas when we looked back at the $25, it was more of the, the three lineups, eight lineups guys getting it done. So just goes to show that week-to-week, tournament-to-tournament, sometimes the MME guys are going to get there. Other times, the, the single bullet will do. So RCU sick, 82, takes it down here, putting up 590.5 points and the $50,000 prize to boot did have Justin Thomas in his lineup coming in at 22% ownership. And I think that this kind of falls more in line with what we're used to seeing from an ownership build perspective. You've got the one guy above 10 K and Justin Thomas over 20% owned. You've got two nine K guys that are more in the, the 10 to 20% ownership range. And then you've got three cheaper plays that are more off the board. So Again, not surprising to see the stars and scrubs builds coming to fruition in the no cut event. Obviously, JT, fantastic play for me. He was my number one overall play coming into the week. Um, I just, he just played some incredible golf. I mean, he, he ends up getting the win by three strokes and I was watching him on, on Thursday, Friday, and he had a lot of, a lot of meat left on the bone with some of those short putts. So. Now, granted, he also got some pretty good bounces down the stretch on Sunday. Uh, that drive on, what was it, on 15 or 16, that easily could have ended up in the water, but he ends up getting a, a great look at it, makes an incredible approach shots, and makes birdie. So. But like he talked about in his interview after the fact, that's just sometimes those are the bounces that you need to, to win a tournament. Not easy to win in these strong fields. So great lineup here. You see, again, Phil and Tom Lewis as those low-owned plays that found themselves in that T2 bucket, making themselves into the lineup. Berger, another strong play. And then Lowry, another off-the-board play here. But here is what I found super interesting about RCU Sick in his lineup. So first off, let's take a look and just filter out by his results. And he didn't just win this thing, right? He had a number of lineups. He has four in the top 11. He's got, what, nine or 10 in the top 100. So just looking across the board, he had himself a, a very nice consistent week and, and a lot of even min caches to boot there. And so when we look to deconstruct how this happened, here is what we're going to see. So what I'm doing here is just going in to, to look at the ownership specific to RCU 682 82 and how his player pool breaks down. And look what we have. All in, talk about going all in. Justin Thomas, Webb Simpson, Daniel Berger, 100% of lineups for 150 lineups. Now that is what we call going all in right there. And so we've talked about over the past couple weeks, right, the different ways that you can approach MME builds and your tolerance for risk, and this is this is the most aggressive that we've seen so far, and, I mean, this is what's going to happen when you hit, right? He, he, he has the winner in 100% of his lineups, and then he's got two guys that also put in strong finishes. I think Berger came in the top 10 as well, and, yeah, Berger was in that T2 mix. Webb was right there, T12. So <laughs> you put three guys in 100% of your lineups, and you've got a winner, a T2, and a T12 you're going to have yourself a pretty nice week. And then around that, he's got nobody over 20% ownership. So it's basically going all in with these three guys and then sprinkling in, I think pretty much has to be all 6K guys beyond that, right? Yeah. Taking a look at these names, not – okay, so Poulter. So maybe some low 7Ks at best, but pretty much what he's saying is these are the three guys that I like. These are the three guys that, that I trust the most and I want to build around. And then from there, I'm going to just get a sprinkle of everyone and hope that that's the right build that is going to lead to the winning lineup. So obviously not a style that's going to be for everyone. Again, one of these guys has, has an off week. Maybe it's not as good, but also again, going back to the, the theory of the no cut event, it's not like he's putting himself at risk of Webb Simpson missing the cut and not getting two rounds, right? At the very least, unless there's a withdrawal, he knows that he's getting four rounds out of these guys. So he's going to draw his line in the sand and really get aggressive with it and go with it. So I I respect the the guts it takes to do that there and to each his own. But really, I thought awesome build structure there. So RCU sick, 82. Congrats on the win. Congrats on the just overall great week. And um, yeah, very nice build structure even better results to go with it. I think uh, another guy that we're going to want to look at is E. Hafner here. He's a well-known name in the industry and, and also had himself a nice week across multiple contests. He was actually ended up being the winner of the 3K, and I think he won one of the other tournaments as well. And so when we take a look at his player pool, we will see a similar but less aggressive approach. So he really took his stand on two guys primarily. So three times the field on Justin Thomas, putting him in 64% of his lineups, massive leverage on Jason Day, putting him in half his lineups, and then massive leverage on Phil as well. 6% 6% ownership, putting him in 32%. Jason Day seems to be a name that just keeps coming up in these winning lineups and, and people still never want to play him, myself included, but he keeps finding his way on top of the leaderboards and in a lot of the winning DFS lineups that we find ourselves reviewing on Monday. So not sure exactly what about Jason's game is is hot right now, but He seems to, one way or another, find a way to get it done, and he just seems like a guy that doesn't necessarily jump off the page from a statistics standpoint, right? He's not one of these guys that is, oh, this guy's amazing on approach or amazing one way. Obviously, he's known long-term as being one of the best putters on tour, but Jason Day playing well again, and and I'm sure will be someone else that – can find himself into contention at a cheaper price tag coming into the major this weekend. But yeah, just wanted to to review E. Hafner's player pool as well, a little bit more balance, but also a a bit of a tighter player pool, it seems. So a number of different guys where he's in the like 15 to 30% ownership on, had some exposure to some of the top guys. Also mixed in some of the value plays as I look at the player pool here. Chez Revy was a guy that I was pretty high on going into this week. Uh, He was looking looking really, really strong for the majority of the weekend. Fell off just a little bit, but still really strong showing from Chez. Scotty Scheffler was another guy that I liked going into the week. Thought that given the no-cut event, Given his ability to make birdies and to score from a DraftKings perspective, thought that he was more in play than usual. I know that he is kind of hot and cold in terms of some people love him. Some people hate him in the BFS industry, but thought that he was a good play going into this week. Xander, I think everybody loved Xander coming into this week and, and it showed, I think he finished at nine under and, and that includes him taking an eight on a par four on Friday. So he gets rid of that eight and he's right up there with JT competing for the lead on Sunday. So again, going back to the idea of the WGCs, the no cuts, for whatever reason, Xander seems to be a guy that has always found himself in the mix in those events. And I think that's a perfect reason or, or example as to why. He's a guy that's gonna gonna grind for you. He's going out there every day. Wants to play his best golf. He's not getting discouraged once he takes an eight. There's other guys that that maybe mail it in after that. So wanted to touch on Xander a bit. Hideki, another guy that I have rostered many, many times in my DFS career. And I think he was pretty much a neutral putting this weekend, which allowed him to to get that top 20 finish. But he's a guy that's always going to be kind of in contention just from a ball striking standpoint. You can see he's got Brooks mixed in, Webb mixed in, so he's got a little bit of everyone mixed into the player pool and, and found himself some success that way as well. All right, let's um, let's see. So we took a look at the $25 and the $5. Let's do a $3 quick. Just take a look at this. Again, just to give it a, a little bit of a different – View of some of the the different contest t- contest types, right? So here we've got the three dollar twenty max, so you don't have to compete against the guys that are putting in hundred and fifty lineups, and a lot of similar plays that we've seen here, right? This actually is almost uh, very close to to the lineup that we saw win the twenty five dollars. So you've got Phil and Tom Lewis seem to be that key there. You've got JT as the winner, and then you've got couple other nice plays here. Kevin Na, another play that was on my radar going into the week. Had himself a a solid finish there. So just taking a look here, and you can see, you know, a lot more single bullets or two or three entries getting it done in this tournament. So something to keep in mind if you don't want to be putting yourself in a situation where you're battling against the guys that are putting in 150 lineups 20 a little bit more reasonable here. Also interesting, it looks like we've got a couple of duplicates up at the top, right? So three guys tied for fourth, three guys tied for seventh, a bunch of people tied at 11th here. So something that should definitely be on your radar in the future for these WGCs just with the smaller field. Obviously less options to choose from makes it a lot more likely that if you're putting in – the max salary cap or close to it that other people may find themselves on the same lineup. So, Oh wow. This one left. Okay. So these guys actually did not have the same line they just happened to score the same point. So that just is what it is. righty, Let's, let's take a look at some of the higher stakes stuff here. So let's do the, the five, 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 to start, So again, like we talk about every week, it, it may not be in everyone's wheelhouse or in everyone's bankroll to fire into some of these larger tournaments, but there's opportunities out there for satellites, there's opportunities to, you know, set a goal for yourself of grinding up a smaller bankroll with the goal of, hey, maybe when I hit a certain number, gonna take a shot in one of these tournaments and this is the reason why like we've talked about before single bullet gets it done for blue eight six five nine rotor grinders member shout out to him love to see when the the single bullet is able to get it done takes home that big six figure payday hundred and fifty thousand dollars and again similar to what we've seen pretty contrarian lineup just from an ownership standpoint You've got Brooks at fifteen percent being his highest owned guy, and then from there everybody's under ten percent. So some names that we've seen in some of these other lineups, you've got DJ up there again, we've got Phil again, we've got Jason Day again, and then we haven't seen these yet, but we've got Ricky and we've got Jordan. So Blue was able to take this down despite the pretty subpar Sunday from Ricky. So Could have put up even more points, but lucky for him, he didn't need to. This lineup was was good enough to take it down. And, again, you you look here and, I mean, the, the name value of this lineup, right? I mean, these are probably six of the most recognizable names in golf. And I think when we get into some of these stronger field tournaments and maybe some courses that aren't playing as easy as some of these birdie fests. Sometimes it's just those high pedigree golfers that come through, and it's not necessarily quantifiable. It's just taking a look at the long term and saying that, you know, for these price, the, these are, are are good golfers, and I'm going to go ahead and play them. I mean, I thought Ricky 8,300, that's a, as cheap of a price tag as, as we're going to see from him, and, and he continued to be pretty low priced in the showdowns. So I ended up getting a good amount of exposure to him in the showdown slates throughout the weekend. Thought that that he was a solid play and was, again, playing some some pretty good golf up until Sunday. Jordan Spieth, always a controversial topic in the DFS golf world. Personally, not a big Spieth guy, but he finds ways to get it done. And when he does, it's typically, again, in in these more difficult fields, in the tournaments where you need a little bit of an all-around game and not just a pure ball strikers course. So interesting week because while we see a lot of the, the same plays kind of appearing, there's definitely multiple ways to get it done. I mean, it, it seemed like Phil was definitely a key to unlocking a winning lineup just because of his low price tag. And then but from a build structure here, this is another unique one, right? I think so far we've seen the, the 110K, 29K, three cheap guys. We saw the, the 49K two punts construction, and here we've got more of a traditional two 9k guys, three low 8k guys punted off with the last spot. So definitely interesting. And and again, not not to be a broken record, but but I do think that the no-cut nature leads to people being more comfortable with a variety of builds and more comfortable straying away from the the quote-unquote optimal construction. And led to a a number of different winners here. All right. Let's review one last tournament here. And this may be a little bit of a quicker show than we're used to, but that's okay. You guys can only listen to me ramble for so long. Um, But, hey. So, all right, we've got the 3K. 101 entries this week. So, again, I think it's a three max. A lot of guys are just putting in one lineup. But talked about E. Hafner having a big week, and I think one of the things that I find the most impressive about his week is that he got it done in MME tournaments by putting in 150 lineups, but he also got it done with his single bullet lineups by winning the 3K I think he won the $150 three max as well for another 10K, probably with the same lineup. I saw that he had the same lineup across a number of different contests. So congrats to him on the big week. But here we see, I think what we're more used to seeing from an ownership standpoint where we've got the two chalky guys above 20% owned, I think, like I said, Xander, especially in these higher buying contests, he was the my highest owned and favorite play of a lot of guys Jt as well, just a high equity play in terms of his pricing. You got to save you know five, six, seven hundred dollars off of some of those 11 K guys and just kind of made sense. And then you've got him dropping down, <clears throat> got two lower priced middling ownership guys in Neiman and Scheffler. Again, two guys that in this format can go out there, make some birdies for you, put in some points from a DK scoring perspective. And then the two guys that we've seen continually in these lineups, Phil, Jason Day, the bet on long-term form kind of guys. I mean, obviously, I guess it's been a while since Phil has had long-term form, but if you're going to take Phil, I think, taking him in the no-cut event is is probably a way to go just because you never know what you're going to get with him. But, yeah, really, really strong lineup here. Uh, great ownership breakdown. And, I mean, I think that this is a lineup that that can see yourself getting on now. Unfortunately, I found my way on the Snedeker as my cheap punt play, and oh, he did not play well. Did not play well and also could not putt. So that was not a recipe for success. If I had picked a better punt play, so I had, I had Chez Revi and Brant Snedeker as my two cheap guys. If I had found my way onto a Phil or a Brendan Todd or a Benion instead of Snedeker, could have had myself a pretty nice week. Instead, just found myself... Cashing in, in things like double ups and, and winning some head to heads, but not able to, to get anything done from a GPP perspective. We've got our friend Petty Theft here as well. He's been crushing it in these three K's. Another top five finish here. Empire Maker, always one of the, the best high stakes players out there. Finding himself in a top five here. So. Wilson won, another guy that we see up at the top. So definitely a different beast when you're playing in these fields against these strong players. But at the same time, anything can happen on any given week. It'll be, be an interesting coming up for this major. They're, they're running a, I think the biggest contest that I've seen from a high stakes perspective, perspective with a $7,500 buy in, million dollars up top. I think 301 people tournament. So that'll be a fun one to, to review next weekend. But um, yeah, I guess that's it in terms of the contest that, that I wanted to review. Shout out to all the big winners out here. Shout out to, again, RCU Sick82 for living up to the name and being a complete sicko by going all in on three guys. I respect that kind of play and, and glad to see a payoff for you. And I'd like to get into a little bit of a preview of next week. Let's see if lineup HQ is up and running. It was not when I looked earlier. And it's still not. So what I did do, and I'll just make this quick, but I wanted to give my, again, this is my very, very early thoughts. I've not looked at anything yet, but I just pulled the drafting salaries into a sheet here. Okay. All right. Everyone should be able to see this Excel sheet now. Sorry. Brief technical difficulty switching screens here. But lineup HQ is not up and running yet. But I did want to do at least a very brief preview of the upcoming first major of the year PGA championship. So going old school here, just got TK salaries loaded into an Excel sheet and Definitely some, some interesting pricing when we first take a look. So coming off of the, the top two finishes last week, we've got JT and Brooks as the two guys above 11K. So definitely not surprised to see JT coming in as the, the top-priced guy, especially coming off of the fresh win. But not only that, he's been putting in some pretty consistent results since the restart. Brooks now gets a price jump from 9200 all the way up to 11100 which, again, not the most surprising thing, just given his reputation for being the major slayer. Everyone is always going to want to play Brooks in the majors. Are they going to want to play him at 11-1? That that will remain to be seen. And then we've got ourselves a, a nice loaded 10K range. Rory, Rahm, Bryson, Xander. So Xander finding himself up into the 10Ks, and I think he's earned it at this point. He's just been very consistent week in, week out. Hasn't found himself with a win yet, but I think at this point he's proven himself that maybe if he's not in that very, very top tier, that, that he's at least knocking on the door and he's right behind there. Bryson is an interesting one. I mean, I think three weeks ago, everyone was under the assumption that, oh, when it comes to the, the majors, Bryson's going to be the, the top-priced guy. Bryson's the best golfer in the world, and now he's coming in at just ten three. so – I imagine that will be a, a hot topic for discussion throughout the course of the week. His game just brings a lot of volatility just with the way he's, he's playing and also with some of the decision-making, right? he He's made it pretty clear that, that he's going to do what he does and he's going to bombs away. And when it works, it's going to look amazing and he's going to win tournaments, but when it goes south, it could go south very quickly, as we saw two weeks ago, and when it, he when it took a ten or three weeks ago, whenever that was. So, I mean, it's really pick your poison up top here. John Rahm ten five. That's interesting to me. Off the cuff, I would say that's probably my favorite play right here. R- Rory's been struggling. Can't seem to figure out why, but but yeah, I mean, I, I think you'll see dispersed ownership in the in the ten k plus range. And really can't go wrong with any of those. But as we get down in price, I think is when it becomes super interesting. So taking a look at the 9K range, we've got only four 9K golfers, which is a pretty small 9K range. I feel like we've we've seen more golfers in that 9K range in the past, but they've, they've priced down some of these guys into the eights. So Webb, Cantlay, Tiger, DJ, it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. Among those guys, Tiger coming in at 9-2. I know he they, they don't play this course. I, I don't know as of yet a ton about this course, but I know they don't play it often. But I think Tiger does have some sort of, of course history there. But I guess Tiger has course history everywhere. So 9,200, pretty appealing price for Tiger. Patrick Cantlay came out horribly last week, but ended up, I think, shooting a 65 and then a 67. On his final two days. So he's a guy that people tend to like to play, and I could see him gaining some buzz at that 9,400 price tag. DJ, whew, they're begging us to play DJ with the 9K price tag. Ah, I'm not sure I can personally do it, but I, I could see him certainly gaining some steam. And then just a quick look. I mean, pretty loaded 8K range here. Berger, Morikawa, Hovland, Day, Ricky, Decky, Fitzy. Reed, Hatton, man, a lot of good plays there. And and I think this is typical when it comes to major pricing. Typically leads to these more balanced builds being the quote-unquote optimal just because, I mean, man, those are all very good golfers. All guys that maybe haven't won a major yet, but could certainly see them competing and even winning. So, We'll make things very interesting there. I mean, I think Morikawa certainly interests me at the first look, and Hovland. I mean, just two guys that strike the ball well. I know that there's going to be a course where we need guys that are going to keep it in the fairway, off the tee. Rough look pretty thick from what I've been seeing. So maybe that, that leans us a little bit away from Hovland and Morikawa because they struggle a little bit around the greens, particularly Hovland. But um, certainly reasonable price tags for them. And then when we get into the sevens, I mean, this is where some things stood out to me. I mean, Fleetwood, 7,700, very cheap price for him. Same with Answer, 7,700. Adam Scott, haven't seen him at all since the restart. But 7,800 is very reasonable price for him. It'll be interesting to see how people approach him because, I mean, I think that's just underpriced off the jump. But do we really want to play him his first time out? I don't know. I think it's an interesting price for him, but I could see him gaining some buzz. I mean, Justin, geez, 7,800 Justin Rose, but he, he's just – I rostered him a couple of times, and he was terrible. Really, really struggled around the greens, but 7,800 is very cheap for him. They're probably going to tempt me into wanting to play him again. Speeth people can play Spieth at 7,700. I, I won't be doing it, but – I mean that's a reasonable price. Wow, Phil jumped up to 76. I don't think anyone will play him at that price. So, I guess one of the things I'll call out is, uh, at least for me, I see a pretty—you start to see a pretty big drop off from like the mid-high sevens into the low sevens, just in terms of win equity. So, all of these guys still, still solid golfers without a doubt, but they seem to be like once like we get below 7,500. I feel like the mid sixes and the mid sevens seem pretty indifferent to me. So I think that's another thing that will point towards people leaning towards that optimal build. But again, early in the week, we'll be diving into the research after the show. We'll have my value article coming out. I guess I'll touch on Paul Casey really quickly. People love to play him. I mean, he was still 20% owned, People just people love to, to play Paul Casey and then complain about playing Paul Casey after. I mean, I've done it myself many times, but he, he did the same thing that he did at the Memorial on a par three, where he barely misses the green and then takes a seven. Like, I, I don't know how many more times that we can stomach that happening. It seems seems to be too much of a trend for me, so uh, I might just have to erase him from my mind so that I'm not even tempted to go to it this week, but he... He always gets some buzz from the industry, so interesting one there. But, uh, yeah, again, just a quick first look. But, yeah, like, you know, Ches comes up to 7,400. Brendan Todd at the to 7,400. Benny Ahn at the 7,300. Like, I don't know. How, how are we going to play Ches at 74 over Fleetwood for 300 more? I mean, come on. But that's major pricing for you, so I'm sure we'll see some more condensed ownerships. We'll follow that throughout the week. Like I said, value breakdown. We'll we'll, we'll take a look at at what if these guys are playable, do a little bit of a dive into roster construction. And hopefully we can can get some big scores coming into the major. A lot going on in the DFS world right now. All the sports back up and running. So excited for this major championship, and and this will still be my, my primary focus going into this week. So, Thanks everyone for listening. Sorry that Tambo was not able to join. Hopefully we still enjoyed this solo show talking through some of my thoughts. Also some of my thoughts coming into this next weekend and yeah, I guess the final thing you can check me out on Twitter at TJL5124DFS. Still trying to get some more followers there. Still trying to get myself to tweet a little bit more there. So Give me a follow, and let's go ahead and have another big week in PGA. Thanks, guys.